You're listening to the podcast of Church of the Holy Cross in Popper Bluff, Missouri, a community of faith learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at holycrosspb.org. Advent, already here, and as as I always used to say, jokingly, to which I always just got strange stares, Happy New Year, right? The beginning of a whole new year, a new Christian calendar that we're stepping into, and yet what we so often think of as this season and what we so often participate in is so different than what we hear and we feel today. Because calendars create cultures, Our calendar seeks to orient our life and our year around that of Jesus and around Jesus' story that is being told through the Gospels. Seeks to tell a very particular story. See, calendars instill a story into our lives by explicitly telling us what to believe and how to believe it and how to celebrate those stories. And then we hear the readings like we heard today. (laughs) In this time when we expect to be preparing in anticipation and celebration for Christmas, we hear these kind of stories that seem at odds with with the the way the the story is being told in the culture around us. Because we hear things like, or we we expect things like the Christmas spirit. And what we understand when we hear that are are Christmas spirits like Lifetime movies uh, with decorations and cheer and songs like have yourself a merry little Chris. I'm not going to sing it, but you know what I'm saying, 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 and it's the most wonderful time of the year. And then we come to church and we hear these kinds of readings. And there's this, this split and this dichotomy, this strange meshing of, of sensations that don't seem to quite fit with what we're expecting. See, the the Advent emphasis, the primary emphasis of Advent is not a happy, cheery preparation for something that's coming like gifts and and, and hot cocoa, but it's 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 a looking for the second coming and the final day of the Lord. Advent is especially apocalyptic in nature, and that it clashes so dramatically with the culture around us and what we're doing right now. Even with the Advent wreath, at one point, the primary readings or the themes that would go along with the Advent wreath, where we now have hope, uh, uh, peace, joy, and love, it was in the Middle Ages, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Welcome to church. Good morning, right? And if we were to follow a bit more of the readings that we have today, they they would follow something more like watch, prepare, rejoice, and remember. It's a little bit different still yet. But even today, as we light the candle of hope, I want us to imagine what it looks like to watch in hope. Because these these four uh, themes aren't so dramatically removed from each other, but it takes a little bit of work to imagine how it all fits. So the traditional first week of Advent of keep watch, keep awake, is how we need to prepare to see this new first week of Advent of hope. I love how William H. Peterson of the Advent Project says, he says, while there is scant hope of changing the culture around us, the church need not be a fellow traveler. The call is for the church to reclaim for the sake of its own life and mission Advent's focus on the reign of God, and in so doing to hone once again the countercultural edge of the gospel at the beginning of the liturgical year. 
Indeed, we are a strange people. That while the world is cheerful, we look for something that is called the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Why would the church ask us to do this? Why have the readings been seemingly so dark and the themes, while everyone around us prefer the tinsel and celebration that is so common of this season? And so at home, I am called the Scrooge, the Grinch, or whatever, because as Josh said a few weeks ago, I kind of like to, to wait for our, our, our Christmas decorations a little later in the year. Now, granted, I've given that, that up. I'm allowing it. I'm not a total Scrooge. And yet when we jump quickly into the, the Christmas season and skip over the preparation and the angst of Advent, we miss something core of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You see, to fully experience the joy of promises fulfilled, we have to walk through the darkness of the season of promises made. A lot of this sermon has been uh, influenced by Fleming Rutledge's latest book on Advent, which she compiles a number of her sermons over the years and puts them together. And it's just the way she writes about this is so beautiful and it's, it has bridged the gap for me. So I'm going to be sharing a number of the things she, she said this morning. First of which, Advent is a symbol of the church's life in the present. Advent encourages us to resist denial and face our situation as it really is. The authentically hopeful Christmas spirit has not looked away from darkness, but straight into it. See, what we hear today is the ending of the Olivet Discourse, to where Jesus is talking about the judgment on the temple. It's pointed at a particular place in time that happens in around 70 AD, and, and we're catching the tail end of that. And he's speaking specifically to that. And then he gets down to the latter half of the reading today, and he abruptly shifts gears in something that the disciples understood to, to, to take place at the same time, the destruction of the temple and the judgment of the coming of the Lord, the ultimate consummation of heaven and earth on that great and terrible day. And Jesus splits them into two things. The first section begins much earlier in, in the chapter and comes down, and, and we hear these specific things about the judgment of the temple, and then he gets to a, a Greek phrase which, which specifically states a change or, or an abrupt speaking of something different. Paul does this all the time when he changes subjects, and Jesus uses it. He says, but about that day, about that hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be aware, keep alert. But even then, what Jesus is speaking to there and what he's speaking to about the judgment of the temple are tied together. Because the judgment of the temple foreshadows the judgment of the world. It gives us a little microcosm of what we're looking for. And I'm not going to spend much time on that, though. It would be, it, it's, it's a wonderfully beautiful and interesting thing to dive into that very complicated passage. But we're going to move into more of what, what this for, foreshadows, the judgment of the world. But what we hear primarily in the passage, be aware, keep alert. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. Advent calls us to stay awake to the darkness of reality so that we may see the reality of the light of Jesus. Let me say it this way. There's a story I love of a, of a guy named uh, 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 Admiral Jim Stockdale and the Stockdale Paradox, which was made famous, most famous in the book Good to Great, which is a business book that's been around. And, but he had this really interesting thing. He was, let me say, let me read it straight. Admiral Jim Stockdale... Uh, spent an eight-year imprisonment in the Hanoi Hilton from 1965 to 1975. 
During the Vietnam War, he was the first one to be taken hostage. He lived out the war with, without any pre prisoner's rights, no set release date, and no certainty as to whether he would even survive to see his family again. After his release, Stockdale became the first three-star officer in the history of the Navy to wear both aviator wings and the Congressional Medal of Honor. How on earth did he deal with it when he was actually there and did not know the end of the story? Admiral Stockdale said, I never lost faith in the end of the story, he said. When I asked him, I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life which in retrospect, I would not trade. Finally, I asked, who didn't make it out? Oh, that's easy, he said, the optimists. The optimists? I don't understand. Oh, the optimists. Oh, they're the ones who said, we're going to be home by Christmas. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. And then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come and Easter would go. And then by Thanksgiving, and then it would be Christmas again. And they died of a broken heart. This is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may, may be. This is what is called the Stockdale Paradox. This ruthless holding to the truth of reality that is around us that does not look like a lifetime movie. And yet the, the unwavering hope that we will someday, some way, come through it on the other side. So this is a bit of a picture of what Advent is. Jesus is calling us to keep awake. Keep awake in two ways. One, to our external reality. The external reality that we see here through all of these readings. Where did this go? Let me read point this out again. Through all of these readings this morning, we all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Our external reality is that we need a savior and that savior has promised to come. Advent reminds us that Jesus is coming again, something that we look forward to. See, Advent's emphasis, this is Fleming Rutledge again, on the agency of God beyond history to Jesus is coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And this is something we confess every week. And yet I feel like sometimes we shy away from this truth for good reason, right? We don't want to be like what we see so often of the crazy standing on the street corner yelling, the end is near or whatever, or, or, or pulling out our charts and graphs and trying to figure out when exactly it is that this strange thing is going to take place. And so we, we want to sentimentalize this coming of Jesus again or, or shave the hard, rough edges off of what it means. But to do that is to flip the story around. As Fleming Rutledge says again, God's future determines the present rather than the other way around. And another way we do this as well is to look at the hard realities and to only focus on these hard realities that are around us, whatever that may be in our life. This season, this coronatide season, so to say, or 2020 has had no shortage of hard realities to look at and to find discouragement. So we need Advent more than ever. And yet Jesus says these things during this time. I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me. Verse 32, no one knows the day or the hour. 30, 33, for you do not know the critical hour. And verse 35, therefore, keep awake, 
for you do not know when the master of the house will come. Advent is a time that we look at the hard realities and remember the promise that Jesus has made. The season of promises made, but promises not yet here. They train us in this way if we are brave enough to look into the darkness of Advent and to the darkness of our hard realities that are around us from which we need a savior. Advent is not about just preparing ourselves through hard work. It's about being prepared by looking towards Jesus and what he is bringing and coming. St. Augustine as well says, for this reason, every Christian ought to watch lest the coming of the Lord find him unprepared. But the last day will find unprepared everyone who this day will find unprepared. There is no putting this off. It is today. Today is the day of salvation, as Jesus says. These are the days that we are to to look into Advent and be prepared. But how? How is this? What what gets in the way of watching? This is a strange thing to stand here, to, to look at this passage. What are they looking for exactly? I feel like a lot of the stuff he talked about earlier in the passage is very clear, right? When the, when the sky falls, so to say, we're, we're, it's hard to miss. But how do we know if we're watching? It's about an internal reality. Number two, the, the thing we stay awake to is the state of our heart, internal reality. See, staying awake is about nurturing a particular set of skills in the face of this reality, the hard reality that's around us, that uh, Admiral Stockdale had nurtured well. It's a way of being. It's a temperament. Or as Eugene Peterson says in describing the life of a disciple, it's a long obedience in the same direction. It's a long obedience in the same direction to resist sleep and to keep awake. What does sleep need? What do we need to sleep? At least for me, darkness and comfort, right? Darkness and comfort. The darkness, the darkness. I like everything completely black. Right. I can't wear the little eye mask. My wife wears black's wearing the little eye mask, but I can't do that. I just want everything quiet, black. First Thessalonians 5, 4, but you, beloved, are not in the darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. We have been given the light to see what is around us. But what is sleep except a pausing of the reality that is around us, a checking out of the things of our day, a checking out of the struggles, a checking out a little bit of, of, of the hard things that, that we find ourselves in, a pausing, a turning off of the brain. How many times have you been laying in bed and you cannot turn the reality of the day off? Sleep is a pausing of all this. But secondly, it, it, it depended on comfort, right? I forget who, it, who, who, who said it, but never uh, always, now I'm going to butcher it, um, always spend lots of money on your shoes and your bed because if you're not in one, you're in the other, right? So we, we have these nice mattresses. We have a sleep number in my, in my house, so we each dial in our perfect comfort zone. So we're not, she gets really mad when I dial hers up because she likes it really soft and go back and forth. But comfort As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. What is our culture's approach to Advent and Christmas but comfort? The lifetime smearing of reality to some other story that disengages from the hard reality that is next to us. Sleep is a pausing of the world around us, a retreat into ourselves, a disengagement from all that is not comfort. But that is not where God meets us. God does not meet us in our fancy stories that we tell about ourselves and the world around us. 
God is the very ground of being. God is the very realness of reality, to say it in a very clunky way. He is the most real thing about us. He is the most real thing in this whole cosmos. The only place God can meet us. The only place Jesus has promised to meet us. The only place Jesus had ever met anyone throughout all the stories of the Gospels where he was constantly trying to bring people back to the ground of reality. Go and fetch your husband, he says. Of so many ways, the only place Jesus meets us is in the gritty, hard, real reality of our real selves and our real life. This is the conflict that the Christian finds, that the disciple finds in the season of Christmas and Advent, is the conflict between two cultures and the desire for comfort and darkness. Because we all carry something. We all carry something that we want to numb and to comfort. It is this that the season of Advent prepares us for the coming of the light of Jesus. If we are brave enough to look into that darkness. I have a story I want to tell in closing today that I'm I'm hesitant to tell because one, it's not my story. It's, um, It's a story I was privileged to be invited into. Um, very close friend of mine, my roommate through college, who I've stayed very close with over the years. Um, well, my wife and I just had our, our third child, Rowan, in June. And around the same time that we became pregnant, my, my friend became pregnant with their second as well. And we were talking and celebrating this, and then after a few months, uh, the tone changed. See, his child was diagnosed with trisomy 18, which is a chromosomal, I'm not sure on all the, all the, all the, the, what it all entails, but it was a chromosomal deficiency that they said there was less than a 1% chance the child would survive, but it would survive to birth. And the story of, of hearing him walk through the season, them both, in thinking about the light of Advent, it reminded me of this. Because all through this season, I was just so blown away by the way they didn't shy away from the hardness of what they were, they were experiencing. How she carried that baby and felt that baby every day, knowing that there was no chance that this baby would come to be an adult. Less than a 1% chance that it would survive to one-year-old. And they kept awake to the pain and reality of losing this child, not knowing how God was going to show up, but expecting him to. Not making up fancy stories that eased the burden of the pain of carrying this child, knowing that they wouldn't get to to raise it. Of bumping into the reality that Her faith had not been strong enough to meet this new reality. That she had leaned on a a faith that was weak of a childhood faith that couldn't handle the hard questions that she now had. And as she carried the child on, and the day finally came to give birth, she she met it with this sense of angst of, of not knowing where God was, even though she was looking for him. And not until the moment she knew that the child had passed did she experience this comfort But that's not the part of the story that reminds me of Advent. 
After the child had been born, the, they, they took her home, the, the body of their daughter, Hope, ironically enough, and spent the day with her, the few hours that they could have, taking pictures and holding. And the family came in and loved this child as best they could for the few hours they had. The day grew long, night came in, and what happens to all of us after that time began to, to set in. They were very nervous and anxious, and, and for the first time they realized that there was a, a, a new fate that they hadn't considered what happens now. When is the funeral director going to come? When he shows up, how is he going to be? How's he going to take my daughter from me? Suddenly, after 10 o'clock at night, in the night, the funeral director appeared in the doorway. And his big fear, my friend, was that he would show up with a box and treat their child as something that was to be discarded. But instead, the funeral director showed up at a time they were not prepared for, walked in the door, held out his arms, and in incredibly tender words, said, I'll take your daughter now and I'll take good care of her. And the peace that they experienced in that moment, when it was like Jesus himself walking into the midst of the hardest thing in their life, unannounced, suddenly in the night, that's what I hear Jesus saying in 32 to 37. Be awake, keep aware, stay engaged to the hard realities because I'm coming soon. And when I do, all will be made right. He wrote a poem about hope that I'll read a few lines from. My, my daughter Catherine has trisomy 18, which means she's likely to never see 18. Years or months or minutes in this life with us, her body broken, every cell inside, but she has all she needs, an extra chromosome besides. We made sure to put the word hope in your name because this life and the next, it's all the same. Your body may die, your death could be gory, but pain's just the dark side of God's eternal glory. So we hope for the next life, but also for this, but not just that empty kind of eternal bliss. Our hopes for the day, pain aside, when we see you in glory and with you will abide. At the closing of one of the chapters in Fleming Rutledge's book, she writes this about Christmas. I asked my mother to tell me why in our family growing up, we did not decorate our house until Christmas Eve. I knew the answer, of course, we were conscientious Episcopalians, but I wanted to hear what she would say. She surprised me. She said, I think Christmas should come in a burst. Suddenly in the night, exactly. And as Alden writes, nothing can save us that is possible. The human race cannot expect to receive any lasting comfort from the world. The comfort we so desperately need must come from somewhere else in a burst of transcendent power, breaking upon our ears from beyond our sphere altogether. See, the hope of Advent is that God has promised to meet us in the hard places. If we're brave enough to keep awake to the reality so that we may pre be prepared to see the reality of the light and experience genuine hope. 
and he promises to do this and to come soon. Amen. Amen.